The Courage to Lead, Episode 59. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm loving life because I get to do things like this. I get to help companies uh, and company leaders become better, stronger, more courageous leaders. And I get to interview people like my next guest. So please help me welcome Dr. Johanna Bagonis. Dr. Joanna Pagonis is the owner of the leadership consulting firm, Sinogap Solutions. She has 20 years experience in leadership and organizational development, which she gained throughout her professional and academic career. Dr. Pagonis has worked in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, and is an international speaker, having presented at Interpol conferences in the Caribbean and South America. Joanna's firm specializes in developing employee engagement and leadership strategies that will transform people into confident and capable employees that achieve excellence and are a source of strategic value. Joanna inherently believes what drives people to excellence is igniting their passion through their purpose, giving people a form to share and express what they love, what they're good at, and how their work aligns to the purpose of the mission of the organization. Joanna is also a host of a business podcast, Tackle Tuesday, and author of Choose to Be a Leader, Others Would Want to Follow, How to Lead with Heart and Purpose. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I have to say, Harlan, you have a wonderful radio voice. Oh, stop. It's going to make me blush. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This is, you got to speak in front of Interpol. That is yeah. amazing. Oh, what my was, God. And was that on culture or engagement? What was that about? It was, it was actually effective presentation and diversity was the topic. And I was still early in my career uh, in um, corporate training and development. And I was actually transitioning between jobs and moving to a new city mm. and a professional contact and colleague that I had reached out to me. And he said um, he had lots of connections in law enforcement across Canada and the United States and obviously internationally as well. And he said, listen, uh, Interpol, I have a colleague that works in Interpol and uh, they had somebody who was going to teach their um officers or their agents uh, how to present effectively in diverse environments. And they dropped out. Would you be open to it? And wow. since I was still early in my career, first of all, I said, yes, absolutely. But oh my God, then the terror sunk in. <laughs> and I'm like, who am I to have this opportunity and have this privilege thrust upon me? But I'm passionate about what I do. And so I took it very seriously. And and it was amazing when I went. Uh, so we were in Barbados, actually, the first uh, conference that I attended. And, and what they do at Interpol is obviously they have s databases that uh, their member countries, the officers in the member countries have access to in order to work collaboratively to identify and apprehend criminals and terrorists. But they have to train these officers, you know, the one from that one agency that comes to the conference to learn how to use these databases. Then they have to take that knowledge and then teach the officers in their service uh, and departments how to use that database. So they thought it would be best to equip them with the knowledge around how do you train others and how do you embrace people's diverse ways of thinking and being and take that into consideration when you mentor and train people, whether you're in a large or a very small agency. And so when I showed up, um, the reception was, I would say, not even cool. It was like cold. It was oh. frigid. They didn't seem very open to me being there. And I wasn't yeah. sure 100% why. And there was this one guy, he had his sunglasses on and his laptop up and he was slumped in his chair and he was barely looking at me. But by the end of the, so it was a three-day workshop that I was doing with them and it was very hands-on. By the end of the first day, his sunglasses were off, the laptop was down and we were all having a great time. But fast forward a couple of uh, days later, we were at a karaoke night all together having a blast. <laughs> and I asked, like, what was the deal with that? And they said that earlier they had somebody from the FBI show up to talk to them about, I think it was terrorism. And they said that they felt so uh, marginalized by this guy's presentation that he just came off as like, you guys know nothing. We're the FBI. You're wow. small law enforcement organization in the Caribbean, you know, we're here to impart our wonderful knowledge onto you. At least that's how they perceived it. Right, right. 
And so when I showed up, they were expecting more of the same. You know, who's this white woman coming to tell us how to do our (laughs) jobs? And uh, they just said that my approach to them was like very warm and inviting and that I I appreciate and respected their expertise. And that was included throughout the course. And I'm like, well, of course, you have to teach you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is. You can't talk about diversity and inclusion and how to facilitate in a powerful way and then present it through a lecture format where I'm the expert. So exactly, it was a wonderful experience. Then I got to do it again in South America and that was amazing. And it was just, you know, I I love working with Interpol. I had an opportunity to work with them for a six month period, but by then I was doing my PhD. So I had to turn it down. But can you imagine I would have gone to France and and worked with the ATF, um, um, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms firearms, to develop training for their officers and Interpol officers. But that never happened, but that's okay. Wow. Well, if they ever call you again, you need somebody to carry your bags for you. Yeah. I will go. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, I want to get into, into all of that, your background, how you got yeah. into doing what you do. Talk a little bit about your book and kind of what's next for you. What else mm-hmm. is coming up? But before we get started, I have some questions. Yes. Yes. These are the questions made famous on the television show Inside the Actor's Studio, where mm-hmm. the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests. And I figure if they're good enough for Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Joanna, question number one, what is your favorite word? So I think I would have to say, you know, reflecting upon that, I, I like to use the word love a lot, especially through the pandemic. You know, it's renewed my appreciation for the important things in my life and to not be hesitant to express joy and my passion and happiness and the love, the love that I have for people um, in my life. And so I'd say right now it's love. So the word love is very powerful for me. And I think we need to accept that more in our lives and, and also be comfortable to share that with others, whether it's personal and in the workplace, you know, God forbid we, we show love and respect and appreciation towards our colleagues. I don't know why people are afraid of the word love in the workplace, but I say, let's bring it on and, and, and do that a little bit more. The guy that I just talked to, he's got a program called love as a business strategy. Mm, There you go. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Question two, what is your least favorite word? Oh, oh yeah. Bureaucracy. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Enough said, right? I mean, I worked in government for for almost a decade, you know, mic drop. Let's move on. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Perfect. All right. What turns you on? Oh, um, oh, wow. I would say, I guess you almost have to define what is turn me on mean, but it switches me on, excites me. Like, I mean, I would say vacation, you know, some of the most passionate, exciting moments of my life have been when I'm with my family or my friends on vacation and we are just truly enjoying each other's company. And I look around the room and I'm like, is this really my life? And I'm surrounded by by such amazing people. And and I'm just enjoying my life. And and you get to do that a little bit more when you're on vacation because all the worries and stress related to work kind of disappear. So I would say, yeah, be on vacation and being with people that I love. Uh, yeah, it just excites me and thrills me. And I guess turns me on if that's appropriate. No, that's good. That. That's that's awesome. Absolutely. So then the flip side, what turns you off? Mm. Can I say bureaucracy? Yes. <laughs> but I would say rigidity really okay. rigidity like this rigidity and resistance it's this unwillingness to do something different just yeah. triggers me yeah absolutely all right what sound or noise do you love oh the ocean i'm greek and somebody was telling telling me reading my vibe not my future my my fortune but my vibe through different stones that they had this was in greece and santorini mm-hmm. and she discovered this one stone that aligned most with my aura. And she said, you have this amazing passion and love for the ocean. And I said, well, you know, I'm Greek. Is that a surprise? I mean, you know, we're, we're sailors for crying out loud. Like, I mean, Greece and ocean are synonymous. I love, I love the ocean. I love being swimming in it, hearing it, uh, tasting the saltiness of it. It's yeah. It's a whole package for me. (laughs) And Santorini was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. We oh, spent isn't it? A week or so. And, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. 
We could talk forever on Santorini. Yes. <laughs> okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Loud, loud noises. I have a quick story. We, my husband's a police officer and he took me to, um, you know, part of my job also, I worked in law enforcement. So I got to spend a lot of time on the range. And one of those visits on the range to just get a better understanding of firearms and the curriculum I'd have to design around that. You got to shoot various firearms. And one mm -hmm. of them was, oh my God, I forgot what it is. But ultimately this firearm, it's a 50, I think this is a 50, 50 cal. cal. Yeah. It's, it's big enough to take down a plane or a tank. And yep. so that noise that comes out of that firearm is so, I, I refused to shoot it because the sound alone was so frightening for me. So okay. big booms and bangs and loud noises really distress me. <laughs> <laughs> the concussion from that going off. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, okay. Well, when I first met my husband, he thought I swore too much. Uh, and the, the, there's a positive correlation between wine and swearing. So the word that tends to flow really well out of my mouth rhymes with puck. Okay. Tribute to hockey. I'm from Montreal. Go Canadien, go. Uh, so <laughs> I'd say rhymes with puck. There you go. Um, question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, easy. Uh, it was what I initially wanted to do as a kid. And then my Greek parents said over our dead bodies, it was to be an actress, really, a, a singer yeah. and a dancer. Uh, I was like, I wanted to be on Broadway. Nice. And what profession would you not like to do? Mm. My girlfriend told me that she used to do this. I was like, oh, that's something I would hate to do. She used to clean uh, sewages. So she would go into like businesses and there was a backed up sewage. She'd have to, you know, go full kit, rubber <laughs> gloves and go in and clean the crap out of sewage systems. Now, I, I would hate to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Mm. That um, you really were giving, uh, you gave a lot to others and... Um, you helping others was your true, true purpose. And we recognize that and appreciate that you made the world a bit better to live in because of your contributions and support you gave to others. Awesome. That's great. Good job. All right. We are going to be back. We're going to talk about where you got started, how you got started in uh, law enforcement, and then going to get your, your doctorate, mm -hmm. um, your book, your podcast, and whatever else comes up. Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll be back right after this message, so stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. All right. And we are back with my guest, Joanna Pogonis. Thank you so much again for being part of the podcast. This is amazing. Um, looking forward to this. So tell me a little bit about your career, how you got started. So like I mentioned earlier that helping others was my true calling. And so I thought that would occur or I would live that purpose by being a therapist. Okay. And I wanted to work with families. I was fascinated by systems early on uh, in my professional career. I thought systems is how the world functions. And if we can understand a system and what's working or not working within it, we're in a better position to fix it. And I see the family as a system. And so when there's one individual in the system who's struggling to, you know, live a fruitful, you know, fulfilling life, you can't just look at the individual. You have to understand the system that they're in, whether that's the family or any other, you know, uh, you know, people that live and function within that system. And so I want to work with families, not just with individuals and, and primarily with children too, would be my primary focus. So I started there. I was doing my... I have my bachelor's is in psych. My master's is in ed educational psych. I was trying to become a therapist. And then, and then I moved from Montreal to Edmonton, to Calgary, actually. And then uh, my, sh my focus shifted. I moved away from nonprofits and working with troubled at-risk youth mm -hmm. to 
working in law enforcement as a corporate trainer and developer. And I think that shifted because I was living here on my own. I was in a relationship. That's who I came with was my partner. That relationship ended and I was really all by myself. And I thought I need some more stability, nonprofit. Yeah. Although it's, 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 it's rewarding. It doesn't always pay the bills. Um, I'm contract by to contract. And so I saw a job with the Calgary police service. They were looking for a curriculum designer. And when I looked at the skill set in terms of designing programs for law enforcement officers, a lot of these skills I used to develop programs for families and at risk youth, it was the same skill set, mm-hmm. very different focus, obviously. Yes. And so I thought, Hey, this is a stable permanent job with benefits. Woohoo, wow, benefits? What's that all about? Working in non-for-profit usually don't get benefits. So so I, I, I applied and I got the job. And that's that's like, you know, I guess you could say the rest is history. So I started learning what it meant to be in training and development or a training expert instructional slash curriculum designer. And I did that for several years. And while that was fascinating, and then I moved to a different city. And I wanted my horizons to expand. I wanted to just, I wanted to get out of focusing on recruit basic training and look at organizational learning and development. So moving away from the individual again to the system, how does learning happen at a system level within a, within a large complex organization. So that's where I started to focus all of my efforts and work. And that's why I went back and did my PhD because I thought, you know, I love education and learning. I'm, I'm a lifelong learn, learner. And if mm-hmm. I don't feel credible, then I seek ways to fill that that gap in, in my knowledge. And one way was to do a PhD. Although after I started my PhD, I thought, why am I doing this? This is, ins- <laughs> this is insanity. Like I was working full time. I didn't take any time off. Yeah. And I was like, just giving it, give it, giving all of my time and effort to get that done in four years, which I did, but I'm so happy I did it because wow, the knowledge I gained and I was able to apply everything I was learning through my academic experiences right to my job. Nice. And that was the most powerful learning opportunity and experience I ever had because you know how powerful it is to apply what you're learning directly and immediately it's it sinks in and and improves your your practice and your skill set well you probably know people like i do that went through law school and they're not practicing law they Mm. you know went to get this degree and they're not using that degree to actually be able to use what you're learning and directly apply it yeah that's special Mm. so tell me about systems i'm a big systems guy uh worked with a lot of companies as a uh consultant um, looking at their business processes, re-engineering their processes, restructuring their processes and everything like that to streamline those systems. Um, what types of things have you seen or, or have you worked with that, like what do businesses do wrong when it comes to systems? When it comes to specific to my expertise or my area of focus, which is really looking at leadership development, I believe that you know, what we do is with my company is we help and support companies achieve their mission by maximizing the potential across their workforce. And so we do that by targeting and working with closely with the leaders in the organization, because I, I see you know, when an organization is either plateauing or regressing in regards to their company culture, if there's in- safety incidents that are increasing, there's Q quality and assurance issues, there's turnover, uh, increased absenteeism, usually mm-hmm. you can pinpoint that to the quality of leadership and, you know, their abilities and confidence to truly lead others. I think a lot of people think that when you get promoted to a manager, you get to do the same thing and be paid more. And your, your role fundamentally changes. So one of the things that I've seen that companies struggle with is they, they approach leadership development usually as an afterthought, number one, and as a one-size-fits-all approach. They don't understand you know, the complexity of the job and, and how what a manager does impacts and influences everything that happens in a company. So I would say the first thing that they, they don't necessarily acknowledge is the true role of a manager and how they influence the system uh, that they work within. So for example, you know, employees, when you look at human resources, that's a very complex system. And you have to not just tackle one person at a time, but understand how people work together and how do the culture supports that system of human resources? Uh, how do you equip and empower people with the tools and knowledge and the permission to do what it is that they need to do? Uh, find out how you need to make that work? And then how do you then replicate that across the organization? So for example, they'll say, let's focus on 
ex-individual. Let's focus on Nancy. We're about to promote her. Let's just focus on Nancy. And, you know, they invest in her development. She does well. But then they don't really understand that hmm, maybe what works with Nancy and some of, you know, the processes or ways we've approached her development could potentially work for other managers. Let's actually dig deep into what are the skills, what are the leadership competencies that leaders need across our organization? And then how do we develop that with people across the whole company? And understand that if they can, everybody has a unique way of leading, absolutely. But what are those competencies that are important to us that align with our company values? Yes. And, And how do we instill that within our leaders even before they become a leader? So... And so I would say stop approaching leadership development as an afterthought or as a one size fits all or a one off and understand that managers are really key uh, and the linchpin to organizational success because they influence all of the systems. So like, how do you leverage your, um, your internal mechanisms around how work gets done, how work gets allocated, how you keep track of projects? Uh, How does that all happen? And what's the leader's role in influencing that? What are the behaviors they need to do that? And then how do you develop those behaviors within them so they can Mm -hmm. support and improve upon the systems that exist? Exactly. No, it's perfect. And uh, there's that progression from a supervisor who manages tasks, right? To a manager who manages the people and the resources that way. And then the leader has got to be at that higher level where they're more strategic. They're sharing the vision, making sure everybody is on the same page. So they're all driving the same direction and stuff. And mm. I think that's where the breakdown happens is you get somebody who's promoted from a manager into a, a more senior leadership position. And they think it's just the same thing that I used to do. I just have a bigger office, a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there's a lot. It's, uh, there's a big difference between managers and leaders. And there's there's one other thing too, where I see that we could you know focus our attention on and improve is what you do in your work area impacts others. Yeah. And it's, it amazes me still how many leaders and managers will say, we're so unique and so isolated from the larger, like the, the rest of the company that what we do doesn't influence anything else or doesn't really disrupt anybody. And I'm like, no, what you do impacts your colleagues. Mm-hmm. You don't know that it does because you never seek input before you make a decision, before you take action. You only find out about it afterwards when it doesn't work out very well. So okay. you ha- there has to be an openness around... If I'm going to make a decision, maybe I should find out, how, find out how that may impact my colleagues or other parts of the organization before I tell my team, go ahead and do it. And sure. I've seen so many things just go haywire because they didn't actually consider the rest of the organization before they made a decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And you talk to some people who have been in the organization for a while and they still don't really understand the process of how things move through the business. We used to, When I was consulting, we would do things called a, a pro map. And we draw out this big thing on a, a board about the size of a, a, a table in one of the conference room tables. And it was like a board game and you would move. Okay. The material comes in here. This happens here. This happens there. Cost is now assigned to this here. And we'd have people walk through their position and kind of tell what's going on while the other people around the table are looking at it, kind of learning. And it's like, oh, that's why you send us this. You really should send us that because we can't use what you send. Now they understand, oh, that mm-hmm. we didn't know you use that field. We put garbage in that field. And they say, yeah, we always have to delete that because that's what we use for this. And once they understood how their process worked, then it was easier to bring the change in. Okay, we're going to impact here. That's going to impact you down the line or up the line, whatever. So yeah, I think understanding how everything goes together is, is huge. And it can alleviate alleviate a lot of conflict. Sure. Absolutely. And yeah, just understanding. And I I, I work with some you know smaller, mid-sized companies. The teams they have are smaller and trying to get everybody on the same page to get to um, you know, they start working together and, and maybe you have somebody who just doesn't understand or wants to do things their own way. If they're if they break down communication, it can just cause havoc through the entire mm-hmm. entire organization. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how many employees do you have working for you now? Right now I have one. Okay. And I'm actually going to be meeting somebody. I'm about to go on holidays, but I've reached out to them. So when I come back, I'm going to be talking to somebody and wooing her uh, perhaps to work with me. So I'm actually at a very pivotal moment in my business where it's actually growing rapidly. And I'm trying to be very proactive and see this as an opportunity to grow my business on 
you know, growth happens in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. One of them is making more money, but it's also predicting, you know, and forecasting what work may be coming your way and then putting yourself in a position to accomplish that work well without a lot of pain. And one way to grow your business is getting the right people in place yes. before you take really take off. And because um, then when you grow, it doesn't, yeah, like it doesn't feel painful. It feels exciting. So, well, yeah, you don't want that business to come in and not have the people there to do that because then you're, you're, you're forced to just grabbing anybody that has a pulse <laughs> and that can be dangerous too. Oh yeah. Like I don't, my, my credibility lies in that I deliver exceptional service to my clients and we do it in partnership and they trust me. And so if I just get, you know, anybody to do the work, oh no, no, it's too risky. My clients won't get the level of service I've committed to giving them and they, that, that they deserve. So, yeah. yeah, so I'll probably get, I'm hoping to bring in another person in before the end of the summer. And then I'm hoping before the end of the year, one more person. And it's exciting. Awesome. And you do a lot with uh, employee engagement too. Mm. Have, are you seeing that as a, an issue in companies now where their yeah. employees are not engaged? Yeah, unfortunately, that's more of the trend. That's been the norm for decades. Like when you look at Gallup, I love Gallup. Gallup is kind of like my source of truth. Although a lot of the research is just based in the United States, they do some research across, mm -hmm. you know, internationally. But because we're in Canada, I draw parallels to what they discover and our, our workplace contexts and ways of being and knowing are very similar, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at Gallup and the trend around engagement is always like covered at a C, C minus, you know, it's like that's not good that, you know, they said, you know, there's like, I forgot the exact stat, but let's say about 60% of your employees are not engaged. Mm -hmm. Then there's a percentage that are actively disengaged. And yes. then there's another percentage, which is the dangerous percent, the dangerous percentage where they're actively trying to sabotage you. Right. So I'd say, yeah, it is an issue. You know, like a me if you really want to measure leaders slash managers, uh, and I know I, I don't mean to interchange those words, like you right. said, they're not the same, right? But right. we tend to think they're synonymous. But a, a, true, a manager's effectiveness should be measured by the level of engagement and empowerment of their employees. Yeah. And and I think the word engagement and empowerment are words that people love to use. And they don't really, understand. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how to measure it. They don't know what it truly yeah. means. And I had um, somebody say to me, engagement is like the old way of looking at um, how to measure the employee experience. Psychological safety is the new way to do that. But when you come down to brass tactics or like you just talk about you know, tactics or whether, you know, you, you get down to like, what do you mean by psychological mm -hmm. safety? It's, it's, it's basically the same thing. Engagement's the outcome, you right. know, in terms of are people not just happy that they get a paycheck, but really love what they do. Sure. Like, remember we said my favorite word is love. Can mm -hmm. we say love? I love what I do. <laughs> I love going into work on Monday or whenever my Monday is, you know, if I'm a shift worker, I love going to work. I feel valued. Um, and it is an issue because I just read a Forbes article. It was called the great, oh, what was it called? The great resignation mm. that millennials and Gen Z are quitting en masse. Like they are sure. just, they're like, they're apparently Gen Z and millennials are the first generation who are willing to take a $7,600 pay cut sure. if the company doesn't invest in their well being and doesn't demonstrate that they value what they have to offer, which is Absolutely. really what we mean by diversity, equity, inclusion. It's not unconscious yeah. bias training, which a lot of people think I've checked the box on DEI because all of our supervisors are mandated <laughs> to take unconscious bias training, which has actually been, has demonstrated that sometimes can actually cement us more, make us more rigid yeah. in, in, in our, in our biases, which is oh, one of the words that I hate rigidity. So right. <laughs> But, but it is an issue. Yeah, absolutely. No. And, and what you're saying about the, the millennials and things, um, checking out of a, a company, be, you know, looking at less pay, if there's other opportunities somewhere else where they feel more engaged, um, listened to valued, things like that. You know, we've all seen, I mean, I, I remember my parents where they hated what they did, but they went every single day and just did it and did it. And it's like, why, why are you doing that? Why don't you go do something fun? Oh, it doesn't pay. So, yeah, it can. And I think that's one thing that the millennials and, and Gen Zs have over us is they're connected. They can see instantly on their phone, this company over there is doing exactly what I want to do, right? I don't have to just put up with it because this is all I know. The world is open to me now. Mm -hmm. And I see that there are other opportunities. And we talk a lot about um, discretionary effort, 
an employee has, they have knowledge they brought with them from wherever they came from before. They could choose to share that with the company they're at now, or they don't. And how many times have you heard somebody say, yeah, I could fix that, but it's not my, not my role. That's not my job, right? They're not engaged. If they were engaged, they would say, hey, I saw something similar to this. Let me help you do this. Or here's an idea we had, or, or some way we did it. They have, they can spend that discretionary effort and they're just not. You know, if the, if the employer doesn't engage them. Absolutely. Wow. So if you go into a company and you realize that because of tardiness, because of, you know, and it, it impacts when you start getting into engagement, if somebody is disengaged, not only are they, that one employee disengaged, all the employees around them are disengaged because they're listening to this person complain. The person is on the phone talking to their spouse or, or friends. Now that company is being impacted by the disengagement. It's it's a ripple effect. It's yep. not just it's con- at one company. It's contagious. So, yeah, absolutely. And we had enough of a pandemic. We don't need more. Yeah. Yes. What do you do if you go into a company and you see that there's um, the engagement is off? What, what's the first thing you do? Oh, I wanted, I want going back to systems thinking, I want to do a root cause analysis or an organizational culture review, if you, some people like to use that term. Okay. I want to understand what's really going on because you know you can ask the person who's bringing you in as the consultant to do some work and you can ask them, what do they perceive their current status or issues to be that are contributing to this lack of engagement, low productivity, let's say. They'll have their assumptions, but you know it's an assumption that's based on a perception that they have based on their soul experience, which isn't necessarily the truth or reality. And what I've discovered is when I can go in and do a bit more of a root cause analysis, which basically is doing a survey where you survey people across the organization from frontline to top executives, follow that up with some focus groups and interviews to provide that richness to the data that you don't always get through a survey. You can really start to uncover some patterns of what's happening, what's working, because we, there's always good, th- like even some of the most toxic cultures I've either worked in or have consulted for, there's always some strength. There always is. Yeah. And you know what the strengths that I've seen consistent? It's funny, we're talking about low engagement, but it's actually the employees who really mm-hmm. believe in what they do, but don't feel like management is really unleashing their full potential and valuing them. And therefore, they're, they're not wanting to contribute. Like you said, they're not willing to exert extra discretionary effort because they don't feel valued or that if they do, they'll be rewarded or appreciated or recognized mm-hmm. in some way. But there they are showing up to work every day because they believe in what they do. Sometimes I see that in organizations like first responders, mm-hmm. you know, where the calling of the work outweighs the toxic environment. But if you don't address it, if you don't tap into that human potential and, and, and devotion and commitment to the organization, it will regress to the point where like, they'll start to actively sabotage. And people yeah. don't always show up and do that like intentionally. I, I've never really met anybody that woke up on the start of the, at the start of the week <laughs> and said, how am I going to like screw around and with people's minds today? And how will I make my job, you know, my, my boss's life more miserable? You know, like no one really... Sh- I hopefully, right? Hopefully not. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're actively sabotaging. But um, so that's what I usually discover. And then what what I usually see is like some of the issues is managers don't, and I don't want to throw them under the bus because this is what I tell organizations and which is what my book's about. You can't assume that when you promote us magically and organically and intuitively, we'll know how to lead others. You know, like, like we said earlier at the conversation where you don't get paid more to do the same thing. Right. And, and it takes a lot of courage to be able to understand, like to, to lead others. Well, it's like being a parent. You don't just suddenly know how to do things, you know, right. there has to be some training there. Exactly. You know, ideally, right. And there are yeah. so many programs available to parents and, and, but so why don't we have that available to people who, before they get promoted or when they get promoted, like even an onboarding program for new leaders. So for organizations to assume that we as managers will figure it out is wrong. And, and there's so many managers that have amazing potential and either gets, you know, stomped out of them yeah. or their confidence just deteriorates because they're not able to really recover from some of the fatal flaws that they have or mistakes that they're making. Yeah. And so these are some of the things that I have consistently uncovered nice. um, through these root cause analysis. And there's always some, you know, nuances and, and uniqueness within each organization, sure. right? That's very unique to them. Sure. But 
um, that those little gems can really reveal how we can start to changing the way we do things. Sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot of extra effort. It's just a little tweak here and a little tweak there and sure. some professional development. And wow, the impact is so positive. And Absolutely. But you were talking earlier about having not only the knowledge and skill to do something, but they need the permissions too. So many times I've seen where a manager will give uh, an employee, I'm delegating this to you, but then they'll question every decision that employee makes. It's like, set the parameters. Here's the end goal. Go do it. And if they do something wrong, talk to them about that. Why did you make that decision? Okay. I see where you were headed. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. In the future, try it this way. But they don't. They second guess. They overwrite them, you know, overrule them. And yeah. Yeah. And they don't, they don't, uh, an area where I see a lot of leaders uh, also struggling is have you, they'll say, I've delegated this work. They didn't do it right. I had to redo it. Okay. Yeah. Did you articulate what your expectations were? And they think they have, but when you get down into it and you coach them through it, they realize, no, I guess I didn't. And so if an employee doesn't deliver what you thought they should deliver or didn't meet your expectations, look internally first and say, was I really clear? And maybe I should ask them too. ask the employee, God forbid we ask the employee. <laughs> so you didn't actually meet my expectations. I'm thinking maybe I didn't articulate them clearly enough. Right. This is kind of what I was hoping to see. What could have I done differently or what could have I shared with you to have helped you get to that stage? It's not right. bad that they didn't meet your expectations. It's a learning opportunity. Exactly. So, you know, there's even small systems within teams, right? <laughs> so figure, figure the system around how you should communicate. Yeah, I try working with my clients. We talk a lot about core values. You know, you, every decision you make is based on your core values. In your business, you have core values that help drive the business. Everyone needs to know what those core values are. Every decision they make needs to be based on that core value, right? If you make your decisions based on your core values, if you don't share those with your employees, what are they using to make their decisions, right? So you want to make sure everybody is aligned. This is the, the, the goal, the vision, mission, purpose. Here's what we stand for and where we're going. Everything you do should help support that. And if somebody makes a decision and you ask them and they say, well, you know, one of our core values is customer first. I was trying to help the customers. Like, fine. Then I'm not angry at you. I see what you did. Thank you for doing that. Let's do it this way next time. Right. It takes away all the, the, the confrontation. My Absolutely. wife, my wife loves to say, you don't have to have a, a confrontation if you have a, conversation about expectation. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah. Alignment, I think is, is one of the other things too. I've worked for companies where the senior leadership says, here's where we're going. And next level down, they say, that's where we're going. Next level down says, that's where we're going. Nobody knows, you know, if you're not aligned, how can you expect your employees to do anything? <laughs> you know, the analogy I like with that example is, you know, everyone's in the boat. So all the executives are in a boat. They each have an oar. And they're all trying to roll in, in a different direction. direction. Yeah. You know, at best they'll get nowhere. At worst, the boat will just break apart. Yeah. And I see sometimes the boat's breaking apart and people are drowning. Or somebody so. says, Oh, you have a hole in your end of the boat. <laughs> right. It's like we're it's all your, in the boat. It's, it's your problem too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, Rock. we're all in the same boat. <laughs> so uh, in your in your previous job doing the training development yeah. and everything like that, did you have employees? Oh yeah. I had, yeah. in some instances I had some of the smallest teams and then sometimes some of the biggest teams. And I think one of the reasons why I love what I do now, it's funny, you know, I, I love, I love being a leader, a manager. I love working with other people. I love planting seeds and seeing people not only achieve a potential they didn't even know they had, but surpassing it. So when somebody said, you know, really, do you want when it, my, now that my business is growing, I have my first employee, you know, some entrepreneurs I know are dead set against getting any employees. They love working solo. And I'm like, how do I provide a service to companies around employee engagement, leadership development, and team effectiveness, effectiveness if I myself don't want a team? Like, that's so hypocritical. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's one of the things I was, one of the reasons why I was so excited about my business growing is because now I can have a team again. Nice. So if I was to bump into any of the people that worked mm. for you in the past and ask them, what type of leader are you? What do you think they'd say? Well, I know exactly what they'd say because, um, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things like that, you know, when I do leadership development, I always start with knowing thyself first. And one powerful way to do that, and I've actually built it into my um, online courses that I offer and through the workshop experiences and coaching I do. But one of the first things is know what your strengths are, know what your gaps are, 
an easy way to do that is through a 360. Mm -hmm. So before I launched my business, I wanted to know what I had to offer the world, what I had to offer potential new clients. And I wanted to know what those strengths were, but I also needed to know what my weaknesses were. So I would be very mindful of those and actively work on, on improving them, not only as a leader in my current position working for the government, but when I would open my own business too. So I sent out a 360 to um, previous employees, current employees, supervisors, past and present, um, nice. friends, family, colleagues, and I didn't make it anonymous. Uh, I know that's risky for some people, but I always say, you know, if you, it's, if you have really positive, strong relationships, yeah. it doesn't have to be anonymous and you, the context you get, you know, you know, the context of where the feedback's coming from, it's more powerful. Mm -hmm. So I actually have two pieces of feedback that two of my employees provided me, which was funny and, and powerful. And one of them was, you know, this is an area of weakness of yours and I keep getting this and I still am actively working on it, but I think, I, I think fast and I speak fast and my ideas can come out in a very fast and furious way, which can overwhelm the people I work with, mm -hmm. not just my employees, but obviously my clients too. And one of my employees said, she said, um, sometimes you're a little slow in reading the room, engaging the level of panic from the people <laughs> in the room. Like they're not able to follow along with what you're saying. And, right. and sometimes you think your expectations are clear and they're not. And people walk away thinking they're going to disappoint you. Mm. And I think, you know, if, you know, when you look at the employee experience, that's not a very positive experience. And when it comes to the client experience, I better make sure that I truly understand what my client needs and wants and articulating myself well. So when we walk away from our meetings, they feel empowered and excited versus confused and panicked, right? So that was powerful piece of feedback. And then the other one, which was so positive, she's, and I'll just read what she said, because uh, I, she wrote it really well, and it was very touching. And she said that she started to understand the difference between supervising and leading. And that for many years, she had been working for supervisors, not leaders. But during our short time working together, I observed you leading. And some of those examples were when you leverage the skills of everyone on the team, and relating the immediate task at hand to the bigger organizational picture and always finding ways for us to improve our skills, the skills we were interested in. She said, in short, you lead by making us all better, not just get the job done. And that was oh. like, oh, I said, can I, I put <laughs> can I put this on my website? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's what leaders should do, right? Yeah. Our job is to make other leaders, to help other people fulfill Right, you were talking about the um, not only aligning their skills, but allowing them the space to use their skills to the full advantage. Yeah, That's great. Thinking back when you first started off, okay, starting mm -hmm. your business and stuff. Yeah. Um, where did you find the courage to to decide this is what I want to do, rather than working for someone else? I want to go out and do it my way. Where did you get that courage? I started to feel. In my in my my career, one of the reasons I always knew I wanted to launch, I had I was consulting on the side for for over a decade, and taking odd contracts, a self employed person, and with the approval of obviously the organization I was working for, and I always had this vision that I would just do it full time. I would launch it as a full time business, but I felt like oh, I didn't have that credibility. So doing my PhD was one one thing I needed to do to start, so I could start developing the courage to do it. And then I also want to get more experience as a formal leader because I knew I wanted the focus of my business to be around equipping leaders with the skills and the confidence they require to really, you know, uh, inspire and motivate others. And so uh, I spent a few years just, you know, moving up that leadership ladder. And I had an anticipated timeline around when I get to this level, I will then move forward. But then as I started to go up the leadership level uh, levels and, and, and in a very bureaucratic environment, depending who the governing political party is, you're really at their behest. Like you, yes. you, you are there to deliver what their platform is, whether you agree with it or not. And, and, and you also have to deliver it based on the way they want you to deliver it. And I started to see things that I just, like, you know, we talk about, you mentioned values and, and you need to know what your values are. And, to develop some awareness around how they align with the values of the organization. And I started to feel like, although my values aligned with the values that they had on paper, I felt like in practice, there was definitely a rub. And I woke up one morning, literally, I was moving into the next leadership position. 
and I had a panic attack at 3 a.m. And I've, I've had two panic attacks in my life. One was in my early 20s, which was an unusual one because I, I remember waking up one day having a panic attack and, and I'm like, I think I'm having a panic attack and I really don't know why. It was weird. But so I had some context of what a panic attack feels like. So when I woke up the second time, you know, not that long ago with a second panic attack, I realized, wait a second, this, this feeling is very familiar and I can't ignore it. There's something that is going on and I need to address it. Cause that's what happens when you ignore something psychologically for a long time, you deny it, yeah. it, it comes back to bite you in the ass and, and like your body will tell you, you can't ignore this. And that's what was happening. And so I had to actually take a moment to think about what do I want out of life? Is this the path I want to keep going forward in? Like, you know, following? And I realized no. And I said, well, if you were waiting for a sign, I always used to say this, you'll know when it's time to launch your business. There'll be a sign of some kind. And well, that was the sign. And so I met with, uh, I told my employer, I said, I don't want this opportunity. I don't, I don't want this promotion. Uh, find somebody else and I will onboard them. Uh, because they were they were going to bring an external if it wasn't going to be me. So I said, I'll onboard them. I'll develop them. I will support them in their development to ensure that they're very successful in the role. And I want to start transitioning out. I want an exit strategy. So it was either stay where I'm at and continue to suffer psychologically and physically through this and realize this isn't what I want for the rest of my life or take a leap of faith and bet on myself and do something radically different. Obviously there was a lot of conversations that happened between my spouse and I mm -hmm. to make sure he was on board and that he also had the sure. courage to support me through it. Sure. And ultimately, you know, th there's no, there's no certainty in life. Even when you work for the government, a lot of people say, Oh, but it's such a permanent and, and stable job. I'm like, really? You know, the government also lays off people. Yes, they do. So, you know, like uh, um, Jim Carrey talks about how his dad did a job that he didn't like, but paid. Like, remember you said our parents mm -hmm. went to work every day. They didn't like it, you know, yeah. and, and Jim Carrey was like, I don't, that's not the life I want. And that always stayed with me too. And I said, it's time for me to do something different take a risk. I'm not an actress on Broadway. I let go of that dream. Maybe this other dream I can actually achieve success. There's, there's so. plenty of time for that, though. Right. <laughs> time. Um, so as a new entrepreneur, what was the hardest lesson you had to learn? Uh, to believe in myself. Really? You know, I opened my business right before the pandemic. And I lost a lot of business because of it. And I was trying so many different things to see, you know, how could I drum up business? How could I, you know, build brand awareness and assert myself and position myself as an expert in this field? And you put so much stuff out there. Nothing comes back, really, yeah. in terms of I love what you do. This is great. You may get the occasional card or text or email or like on mm -hmm. on Instagram or LinkedIn, but that's not very rewarding. You know, like yeah. you need more evidence in some ways that I might doing what I'm supposed to do? Is this meaningful for others? And you really start to doubt yourself. And that was hard, 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 yeah. hard for me. And I started to second guess myself. I started to seek advice from people that were arrogant entrepreneurs mm. who make you feel insignificant. And that was a big mistake. And so I learned to align yourself with people who are empowering people who will see the value that you have to offer, like surround yourself, like create a success circle of people that will support you. And then also understand the value that you can give to others. Just because I was a new entrepreneur struggling, didn't mean that I couldn't help other people who were also early in their entrepreneurial journey and we could support one another. So I just learned to believe in myself. Awesome. And now when you look to a leader or, or, look at someone who is in a leadership position, uh, what type of characteristics are you looking for in a leader? Mm -hmm. Well, somebody who believes, I would say growth mindset. I was yeah. going to say somebody who believes in the potential of others yeah. and themselves. Yeah. And I love Carol Dweck's work on the growth mindset. You know, when I was doing my bachelor's in psychology, I was really drawn to the human behavior of and theories around human motivation. Mm-hmm. And we really looked at individuals who are motivated to keep persevering through obstacles, you know, that are determined to succeed, that have drive, and what motivates these people and what differentiates them from others. And 
you know, when I read Carol Dweck's book, um, mindset, it was like every, all the, you know, all the pieces of everything that I knew about the human potential all kind of clicked for me. And it was an amazing book. I recommend any leader should read it. So I would say that they, they have to have a growth mindset. They have to understand that when game day comes and game day, game day, let's say is when you get promoted, yeah. that's game day. What have you done to be prepared to walk onto the court and, and get a bunch of three pointers? You know, like Michael Jordan, we talk about, and she talks about Michael Jordan in the book that he wasn't really known for early in his career as like the goat. He wasn't the goat. A lot of people thought he didn't even, no. he wasn't even physically, he didn't even have the physical characteristics to succeed and like no. in, in, in his style and approach and how he played. And uh, he didn't have the makings of a goat of the greatest no. of all time, but he became known as one of the hardest working athletes in professional sports and, and look at who he is. Um, Simone Biles, right? Um, her as well, and the adversity that this woman has encountered, and look at the things that she can do. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, she doesn't show up, you know, come come, comp come competition day, and and do these amazing feats that her human body you think would be impossible to do, especially as a woman too, right? right. right. Um, so why we as leaders? think that we can just wing it when we get promoted. Why do we as organizations expect that from our leaders? So we have to invest in our own development because yep. and understand and appreciate the value and the potential we have, but also recognize that others have limitless potential. Really, you yep. know, I, I hate the term, identify your high potentials. Okay, then who, right. is everybody else a low potential? <laughs> no, but I, you know, I, I do believe that there are some people that are just comfortable being the worker bees. I love what I do. I'm good at what I do. And I don't want to go any higher. I don't want the responsibility. I don't want, that's fine. The world needs those people. But if you see the one that is always looking at how can I better myself, give them the opportunity. Let yeah, them learn. Abso yes, yeah. absolutely. But sometimes I feel like as leaders, we, you know, high potential doesn't only mean, I know we usually use it in, in reference to promotion, mm -hmm. but sometimes you know, like, especially depending on the organization you work with, and sometimes promotion isn't an option. A lateral move may be more realistic. Yeah. Uh, and you can uncover an amazing potential in somebody who doesn't want to be promoted, but has untapped skill sets that they don't even know about, you know? So I always encourage leaders to challenge themselves and their ways of thinking and sure. seeing the potent, limitless potential in people. Just assume yeah. that they have that limitless potential. And it's your job to figure out Right. The environment you need to create to bring it out. Well, that's and that's part of the intellectual courage, having the courage to set your knowledge aside, to be open minded, to see other things that are out there. Absolutely. I think the one thing with employees, and I try to get my clients to do this, have conversations with your employees. Don't just guess at what they want. Don't just try to imagine. It's not ESP, right? Talk to them. What is it you want? If, if somebody comes up and says, I want to run a business just like this. Give them opportunities to learn, help them, right? You'll get a good employee out of them. They may decide to stay, but if they decide to move on, they're doing good in the world. They're not hurting anybody. Yeah. If somebody says, you know, I really, I thought I wanted to be an artist. Okay. We don't really have that skill set here, but let me help you find some way to use your art skills, you know? And I, 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 it doesn't seem that hard to me. I don't understand why a lot of businesses say, no, I don't care that you're good at that. I need you to do this. Like, okay, I'm going to always suck at this. <laughs> right. You know? so some of the most successful companies I've seen is that they hire based on potential or, or mindset yeah. or willingness to exert disc uh, extra discretionary effort mm -hmm. and not necessarily their con technical competencies. Yeah. And these people have gone in with very little experience, but oh my God, have they flourished, you know? Right. And I always say the best way to develop a, an employee for their current position is to think about developing them for their next. Right. And there's just a lot of people are threatened at the fact that, but what if they leave? So if they've left, you know, sometimes it, it opens up a spot for somebody else. Right. You know, it well, means they're ready to move on. If you help them with that, that's not a bad thing. Exactly. And somebody once said that, you know, there was an argument, well, do we really want to put all this money into the, these people and train them? What if they leave? Mm. And the other manager says, what if they stay? Mm. You know, if we don't train them and they stay here, what have we really gained, right? So why not put put the effort into it? And I, I, you know, there's knowledge, skills, and attitudes or or uh, attributes. Knowledge is book learning. Skills or how do you apply that? Mm -hmm. That attitude is the thing that if they have that, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be. You can teach them 
the knowledge. You can give them the skills. If you find somebody that has the right attitude and can come in there saying, yes, I want to learn. I want to grow. Hire them. Mm -hmm. Teach them what they need to know. Mm -hmm. And if you have somebody who had a positive attitude and that starts to wane or change, don't just write them off. Find out what's going on. Yes. Talk to them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what's next for you? You've, I mean, you've done everything. You've got your, your doctorate. You've worked for some great companies. You've traveled being a speaker. You've got mm-hmm. your podcast, Tackle Tuesday. You've got your book. What else? What, what, what's coming up? Well, like Madonna said uh, at the Dick Clark show in 1980, to rule the world. Yeah. <laughs> I remember she was just starting. She was in the 80s. And she did. She, she pretty did. much did. She did. Why not? Isn't that a lofty goal, eh? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I'm in an exciting time in my business right now. I do have a vision around how I want my business to grow. But I always say I want to. I used to say transform every workplace across Canada from one of a, from a culture of command and control to a culture of possibility. Nice. And I, I, some of that comes from Ken Robinson, when he said that a leader's job is climate control. Mm-hmm. It's creating a climate of possibility. Yeah, and then absolutely. I met, and then I spoke with Dan Eds and I think he was a guest on your podcast. Yes. And I think he connected yes, he us, right? He connected us and yeah. he says revolutionize workplaces. Uh, and I like, I like that because it's, it's more, it's more in your face and it's more about yeah. like, you know, you said, what turns me on? I guess revolutions do. (laughs) So let, why don't we like, that's what, that's my goal. And so the way to do that is to keep growing my business and expanding it across Canada. But the secret sauce to that is to, uh, to hire people and help them realize and achieve and surpass their potential in doing this kind of work. And then being able to deliver that work across Canada and and maybe one day in the United States. And then also to collaborate with other people that think like me, right. That truly believe in the work that we do and, Mm -hmm. and think that all workplaces should be wonderful places to, to, to work and live within. And so collaborating with them to do this work. I can't do it all on my own. And as my business grows, we'll still be one company. Sometimes I have visions of franchising it. Not, nice. not, you know, not just like Subways or such franchising. It's not just for Subways or McDonald's or Burger King. Why don't Absolutely. we do that in leadership consulting firms too? Um, and that's one of the things I'm doing right now. I'm actually col- uh, collaboratively working with other consultants to deliver some programs to equip managers with the skills that they need to be successful. Excellent. Yeah, I think you and Dan and I are all on the same page when it comes to to this, the organizational change and systems and everything like that. We should, you know, you see Tony Robbins and all these guys do these big, you know, things in Los Angeles and Atlanta and Toronto and wherever. We should do that. Just put together a big road show yeah. and take over the world. Yeah. I'm there. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. okay. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Joanna, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What is your your website? Yeah. So it's it's actually my last name. My business, okay. my company, Sinogap Solutions, is my last name spelled backwards. <laughs> so it's Sinogap Solutions, all one word, dot com. But the is, easiest way too is LinkedIn. Okay. You know, you can connect with me through LinkedIn. Um, and if you want to have a chat, just send me a message. But I do encourage you to go to the website because I have so many free resources as well, like a YouTube channel where we have manager moment videos, you know, like micro learning videos for the manager, our, our blog. And if you are a manager and you don't feel like you're really being supported by your organization for your professional development, but you do have access to professional development dollars, I encourage you to take a look at the courses we offer. They're very different than anything that's out there. It's not about mindlessly clicking through an online course. It is, there's 360s built into the courses. It's all about understanding what your values are and how they align to the organization's values. What is your, your mission and purpose in life? And then, and then and learning more about emotional intelligence and what yeah. that means and how that contributes to your ability to be an exceptional leader. So my courses are all focused around that and we blend them too with coaching. So take a look at what we have to offer and well, let me know if you have any questions. But if, if you're not in a position to pay for uh, anything, there's so many free resources that we also provide. And we have self-assessment survey. So if you want to assess your organization's culture or your team's culture, or if you want to assess if you have what it takes to be a leader, there are free self-assessments that you can access through the website. Excellent. Good job. And what about your book? Can they buy that yeah. on the website? 
uh, Amazon. So Amazon. yes, there's actually a, if you go on the website, uh, on the page that says resources, you'll see my book there. There's an ad for my book. If you click on the link, it'll just bring you to Amazon. You okay. could order paperback or an e-copy. Excellent. Good job. Yeah. Thanks. Excellent. I will make sure all of that information is in the show notes so Great. people can know how to get in touch with you. Thanks again. Thank you so much for being on here. And I look forward to, uh, what's coming up next. Like I said, you probably have more books in there, more conferences in there. And, uh, We'll have you back on the show and see where you're at. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. It was a great, great experience. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and we're taking notes because there's a lot of good information here. Um, If you didn't, shame on you. Listen to the podcast again, and this time be prepared and take notes. And uh, if you enjoy this, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan. So long for now.